Welcome to Songcraft, conversations with great songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. Songcraft brings you in-depth interviews with the men and women who've put pen to paper, hands to keyboards, and fingers to strings to create lyrics and music that stand the test of time. You probably know their names, and you definitely know their songs. We bring you their stories. You can hear all our episodes, check out our bonus content, sign up for our email list, and contact us directly at songcraftshow.com. Also, please take a moment to like us at facebook.com slash songcraftshow and follow us on Twitter at songcraftshow. You're listening to Suspicious Minds, written by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Mark James. A legendary songwriter, James is best known for two perennial standards, Always On My Mind and Suspicious Minds, which earned induction into the Grammy Hall of Fame and was named by Rolling Stone magazine as one of the greatest songs of all time. Both compositions were originally hits for Elvis Presley, who recorded additional charting singles by James, including Moody Blue, Raised on Rock, and It's Only Love. Mark's initial success came with B.J. Thomas, who hit the charts with his songs The Eyes of a New York Woman, Everybody Loves a Rain Song, and the top five single Hooked on a Feeling, which was revived as a number one hit by Blue Swede in 1974 and was prominently featured in the 2014 film Guardians of the Galaxy. Additional hits from the Mark James songbook include Brenda Lee's top 10 country single Sunday Sunrise and previous Songcraft guest Mac Davis's top 10 pop single One Hell of a Woman. Mark found his greatest success with Willie Nelson's revival of Always On My Mind in 1982. The record hit number one on the country chart, became a top five pop single, won BMI Song of the Year, earned CMA Song of the Year two years in a row, and was awarded a Grammy for both Best Country Song and Song of the Year. Other artists who've recorded Mark's material include The Box Tops, Percy Sledge, Lou Rawls, Pet Shop Boys, Julio Iglesias, Helen Reddy, Waylon Jennings, Fine Young Cannibals, Dwight Yoakam, Fish, and Martina McBride. In 2000, BMI named Mark one of the top songwriters of the century. He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2014 and the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2015. Well, we start uh, today's episode with a trend that I'm not really a big fan of, but uh, you know, we have to keep talking about these classic rockers, these great musicians and writers that have passed on. Yeah, and it's it's oh, incredibly man. sad, and, and I I hate it every time we have to do it. But uh, I, I want to give give honor uh, this week to Greg Allman. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's crazy. You know, the last episode we talked about losing Chris Cornell, yeah. and between the time we recorded the intro to the last episode and, and launched it, then we lost Greg Allman too. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, just to to think in the last couple of years, especially, it seems like we've just been losing so many legendary songwriters and artists, man. Yeah. I just kind of want to say, if you're listening and you are a legendary writer or artist, just just be careful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just just yeah, take we need you. Care. We yeah, need we, you here. We, we need you here. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, that's why we tell these stories. Um, yeah. You know, because you, you, you know you never know how much time we have with these with these legends. Yeah. And you actually yeah. got to tell some of Greg's story in your book Southbound, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's the the book is really a history of Southern rock and that, that term Southern rock is something that Greg Allman was not, um, uh, necessarily always comfortable with. I think he sort of wrestled with the limitations of that label. Um, he famously said, you know, Southern rock is like saying rock, rock, all rock came from the South, (laughs) which is a good point. you know, in the early days, um, but uh, but no doubt, the New York dolls were not Southern rock, not Southern rock, not Southern rock. It's important to make the distinction. (laughs) Um, but, you know, Greg is is uh, whether he sort of embraced that label or, or didn't, 
Uh, there's no denying that the Almond Brothers really launched a whole new Absolutely. genre and, and kind of revolution in, in rock music and paved the way for a lot of other Southern bands in the seventies. And, um, man, it is just some of the great songs that he left behind and the great music and, uh, what a, what a talent. Uh, yeah. it, it really is just a, a bummer. You know, uh, another guy who probably fits the Southern rock label, um, because he came from the South and invented rock might be Elvis Presley. Yes. And, indeed. and, and we talked to, to a lot of people who have been part of Elvis's career, which is obviously a great thrill for me. But one of the, the kind of elusive names that we always wanted to talk to. Yeah. The writer of Suspicious Minds. Man. Was Mark James. Yeah, we had an episode uh, a few a few back where we actually talked. You and I both came up with our, our top 10 yeah. uh, guests, our dream guests for, for Songcraft. Uh, I recall one of mine was uh, Phil Spector, a jailhouse mm-hmm. interview. Right. Still working on that Still one. If anybody that. out there knows how to make that happen, <laughs> then uh, hook us up. Please. But. Mark James was one of the guys. We made it happen, and it's great. It was right here in L.A. We got to go to his place, just kind of drive up the road, and what a great guy. What a sweet guy. Really sweet guy, and, you know, he's not really on Facebook. He's not on Twitter. He doesn't have a website. Uh, he, He honestly is a hard guy to find. I mean, I think I spent a couple years trying to track him down. I will not reveal the methods by which I finally (laughs) found him because I think he likes it that way. He's not, uh, he's not looking to to walk down the street and, uh, and be hounded. He, he likes the anonymity of being a behind the scenes songwriter. And there are songs from Mark's catalog, a song like hooked on a feeling that's risen to to great prominence again. Right. Right. the, The guardians of the galaxy soundtrack. Uh, but Suspicious Minds being possibly his his most recognizable hit. But it's tough when you look at Always On My Mind, too. Yeah, that that yeah. could very well be the most recognizable hit. I mean, that song was CMA Song of the Year two years in a row. Yeah, it's, that's, that's crazy. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. He's the kind of the king of songs that keep coming back around. It's yeah. like, like, well, if I, if I write a song, it's going to stand the test of time. Right. And uh, boy, it just... just uh, Man, so now we can cross one of those uh, one of those dreams off of our list. Yep. That's pretty gratifying. It's pretty exciting just to have the opportunity to and and boy, what an honor just to be welcomed into to Mark's home and and a guy who's a Grammy Song of the Year writer, which is which is a pretty right. huge distinction when you talk yeah. about uh, yeah. winning a Grammy is one thing, yeah, getting a platinum record is one thing, but Grammy Song of the Year, yeah, they only give one away every year, yep. you know, and and. Uh, it's cool. I mean, Mark is actually the fourth Grammy Song of the Year winner that we've talked to. We uh, Jeff Silbar was our first with "Wind Beneath My Wings." Wow. Um, Gordon Kennedy with "Changed the World." Uh, Jimmy Webb, which is pretty recent, he yep. won it for "Up, Up and Away." And so now we can add Mark to the list of uh, of Grammy Song of the Year winners. We should try to interview every living Grammy Song of the Year winner. I'm talking to you, yeah. Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and and by the way, we've already talked to four of them, so I think that makes us pretty successful. Yeah, maybe we'll win songwriting uh, themed podcast of the year. Again, if you're out there and you know how to make that happen, we'd really appreciate <laughs> that. We, we, we'd love to win an award. Yeah, so. we just we'd love to win something from yeah. from field day <laughs> all the way back in elementary school. I just it was always a participation ribbon. Well, yeah, I hear they're giving ribbons out these days for a lot of stuff. That's so. uh, that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, let's uh, let's get into our conversation with Mark James. Absolutely. Mark, welcome to Songcraft. Well, thank you, thank you. Glad glad to speak with you guys today. Yeah, it's great to great to yeah. be here with you. Yeah. Now, I know you grew up in the Houston, Texas area. Um, talk about what kind of musical influences you were absorbing as a kid. 
and how you first figured out that you could write songs. You heard everything down there, from Fats Domino to Golly to uh, uh, Morty Robbins. That wasn't a little bit later, but yeah. like uh, uh, all kind of music, a lot of top top pop 40s and, uh, standards. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a big city, so you heard a lot of things. And uh, well, I was a classical violinist. Uh, I had been studying classical violin for years. And, and uh, I asked my mom and dad, I said, anywhere you can buy me a guitar. I said, I can't do that, what I heard on this violin. <laughs> and they wind up buying me a silver tone guitar. And I got to tell you something. I read music. I love music. I was, I was even, uh, later I was concert master of uh, junior high school. Conductor left. I took over. I was really good. But I, I don't think I'd ever known, knew, knew how much I loved music until I picked up that guitar and just started playing what I felt like jazz, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. just playing and in those days, I, I used to have to make up more licks than were out there, huh. you know. And uh, from that point on, I, I started playing. I went into, you know, teenage clubs, and we finally went into adult clubs. As for not adult, adult, but you know, uh, clubs where you, people came in for music, black or white. I played mm-hmm. in both of them. Yeah. And uh, in those days, I remember I backed up somebody one time, and they pulled the curtain, and everybody turned their head. I mean, it was astonished. It was a white band. Really? You know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and uh, but you know you love what you you know I I think everybody uh, uh, for a songwriter they 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 write what what they love and I happen to like everything I mean mm-hmm. I like so many things and so I think you can write what you like or love you yeah. know yeah, that type yeah. of thing but I was influenced by everything you had a band in Houston uh, called the Naturals that had a local you know, right. number one record 1959 <laughs> instrumental. Um, before you formed the Mark James Trio and had another regional hit with, uh, with Running, running back. back. Running Back, Running Back, Running Back, Running Back, you come running back, running back to me. You broke my heart and you set me free. And you forgot about a memory. That song was, was covered by the country artist Anita Carter. Um, how did she get her hands on that song? And, and what were your visions at the time in terms of being an artist versus being a writer for other people? What, what, how did all that kind of unfold? Well, I never started writing for other people until I got to Memphis. What mm-hmm. happened was, uh, as far as the, how Anita got it, I think, Huey Moe had done business with Shelba Singleton, who had big hits in Nashville. Yeah. And they they had done business together, and I think that's how. I think they were in cahoots in business with some of those songs. Yeah. And I think that's how Shelby uh, was able to record them. Well, following the Mark James Trio, you released your first solo single under just your name in 1964 called She's Gone Away. But now she's gone. What else can I say? She's gone. She's gone away. And I believe you were drafted in the Army not long after that. Did you have any opportunities to keep your musical chops up during your time in the service? They let me put a band together on a boat going to Vietnam. We went over really? there, yeah. And uh, what happened was I had uh, six months to go, and they picked uh, Big Red One. Ooh, first infantry. Wow. That's right. Yeah. So my mother started trying to get me out on a hardship and because uh, my brother got a little ill in service, and uh, they started harassing me big time. And... Uh, so I remember a uh, major called me in there and they were still harassing me. He says, yeah, we can let you out. He says, but 
if this war continues, we can redraft you for another two years. Oof. And I said, man, I've already done two years. I only like five months or four and a half, five months. And I said, man, I'm not coming back for another two years. I said, so I, so I looked at him right now and I said, let's go, me and you, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I did. And when, oh, I'll never forget on the boat, they let us put a band together. Wow. Hmm. And might have been a, we were pretty good. Might have been our last gig. <laughs> <laughs> right, play like play yeah, like it could be your you last. Got it. <laughs> um, well, your first national hit as a songwriter was "The Eyes of a New York Woman," which was, of course was a pop hit for B.J. Thomas in 1968. That was produced by Chips Moment at American Studios in Memphis. The eyes of a New York woman. And, and Chips both factor heavily in the story of, of your career. So to kind of paraphrase a, a Tom T. Hall song, tell us how you got to Memphis. Well, he called me. Uh, he had he had gotten hold of some of my material, my my recordings I had put out. Put out. He called me and offered me to come up there. This is Chips. Uh huh. Yep. And uh, offered me a job up there to come up uh, to write for his publishing company, and start producing and writing mm-hmm. uh, to learn to start doing other things. And but mainly as an artist. Yeah. So I went up there, and uh, and so I looked at the band and, and said, well, hmm, let's see, I can get get hit with uh, these guys. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. And uh, as I got to know them, uh, they were very versatile. Probably one of the greatest bands I've ever worked with. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, really talented. They're producers in their own right. They all have headsets on. And one gift this team has that makes a great team is they know when to lay out when the other person Mm. has the spirit to play something great. They know when he's got it to lay out or compliment it. Mm -hmm. And they really have that talent. And uh, anyway, I kind of analyzed the situation and said, yeah, I think I can get a hit. So uh, Anyway, the first, like you said, the first rec- song I came up with was I was a New York woman for BJ, and that did very well as far as uh, well. It got him on the charts. He was Cole. Hmm. I asked Cole at small label, hmm. and it was number one. Adult tent contemporary were number one here, number one there. But it was so slow they didn't have everybody on the jocks on BJ yet. Again. Yeah, and so it was like I think it was like twenty uh, thirty or whatever. You know, that's about how he got twenty eight yeah. or whatever. Hmm. Now and, at BJ. Had you guys known each other? Yeah, we met each other in Houston. Yeah. Okay. So did you have did you have kind of a role in in bringing BJ to the to Chips to the American guys, or was he already kind of working with them? I don't know about that. I I don't think so. I think actually uh, Scepter Records did that. Okay. Brought him to Memphis. Yeah. And, uh, we hooked up again. You know, uh, got acquainted again, and. And BJ lived right in the same apartment I did, you know, because he came there. He had another place, but he came there to live and record and get his career going. And we became really great friends. And uh, I took him downstairs and and played him the follow-up to Isaac New York Woman. And uh, I played him Hooked on a Feeling, and and he loved it. And he said, Mark, he says, any any chance you can bring that down a little bit? It's a little high. (laughs) It was in Kia A. And then... uh, 
I said, BJ, I said, man, I said, man, you, I said, you need to keep it up there. I said, man, you sound, not many people can sing in that range. And I right. said, man, you sound great up there, man. Keep it up there. So he thought about it and agreed to keep it up there. And I still, and man, he's still hitting those notes like it is. I was about to say, he might not have known he had to sing that song for 40 years. I'll tell you what, I mean, <laughs> he, 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 when I got inducted to the Nashville Songwriter Hall of Fame, he came up and sang Hooked on a Feeling. Hmm. And he, man, he, he sounds as great as he ever did. Yeah. Wow. He yeah. sells things great. I mean, Hooked on a Feeling was a, a top five hit for him, and then it was revived in 1974 by the group Blue Sweet, who took it to number one. And, you know, the. That's, it's only one of the songs we're going to talk about that are legendary songs. But I know on the, on the way to getting to a legendary song, there are a lot of songs you write that don't become legendary songs. Talk about the process of writing and woodshedding and writing and writing and how those moments of writing, maybe what are kind of the smaller songs, lead you to the bigger ones. Well, uh, uh, you know, I write. I was writing songs left, right, and left. There's a lot of artists in America when I was there, just you know, coming out. I'd go upstairs and write a song in a day or in a couple of hours, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and come down. Uh, I wrote, wrote a lot of songs, but uh, some of those songs I had, I knew "Hooked on a Feeling" when it came to me. I knew "Hooked on a Feeling" was a great title, a great, great mm-hmm. title, man. But I was working so hard. I said, man, I don't, I don't know if I can work any harder, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, so I played around with it a little while, and, and uh, w- when it came to me, it's probably one of the most inspirational songs came to mm. me that ever has come to me. It came to me with everything, went bam, and just can't unravel lyrics and everything, and uh, the right form and everything. Yeah. And I just was trying to write everything and remember everything down, and and uh, and because uh, I had played around with it different ways, mm-hmm. uh, over uh, writing other songs that come back to it over five months or something like that. Did you have BJ in mind when you were writing it? Yeah, I was trying to write, uh, trying to capture that song and trying to write for BJ too. I'd mm-hmm. say both, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to, it could be a great song. But uh, when it came to me, it finally came to me. Uh, I've always been pretty good at kind of throwing up dominoes and sometimes they come down the right mm-hmm. way, you know. Yeah. The, this night it did, it mm-hmm. like a thunderbolt. Uh, and it came to me, and, and it's had that ever since. I mean, not only B, BJ's a great record, the first record, and that's where the song lies. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the Blue Suede record captured it too. Yeah. And uh, anytime anybody ever uses that, I've had it in commercials, films, television. Yeah. It's just gangbusters. It's mm-hmm. just like people can't get enough of it. I mean, you go on uh, YouTube these days. Yeah. I mean, everybody yeah. doing wow. it. Yeah. You know. And that came from, of course, Guardian of the Galaxy. You know. Right. Uh, right. Recently, they yeah got was, introduced to it. But, that was huge. Yeah. But you know, the uh, for songs. Yeah, you write songs. Uh, I think the whole thing, as far as being lucky enough for something like that to happen, is that you're razor sharp. It's uh, writing so much, hmm. you're keen enough to know when something's there, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, further, and you just lock into it, say, yeah, that's it, and go to yeah. it. And your mind's sharp, you can pick up on things and write it quick, yeah. you know. Almost and like a memories, muscle. And the memory's a big deal. That's yeah. a big deal. I mean, it's a trick to... to uh, uh, building your memory up to remembering the whole song. I mean, when people wake up from a dream and say, "Golly, it's leaving!" I what was that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But there's a, there's a subconscious way to remember that. There mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, when you talk about writing at at American, um, 
was was your arrangement there as a as a staff writer? Was it the kind of thing where you went in every day like a regular job and were kind of slogging away in the in the writer rooms? I did. I did that mainly because uh, when I went to Memphis, uh, uh, when you used to go in the studios, you used to have a engineer. And you used to tell him what to do, how to mix, or he'd mix it, and you tell him, "I need, I need more, need to hear more bass or horns," and you, he, you could more or less tell him because he knows the console. I wasn't an engineer, but uh, when I went to Memphis, Chips was an engineer, Dan Penn was an engineer, everybody engineer because and you go to these different clubs and uh, you, you know everybody does that because you're. Sh- uh, and I say, hey, it's kind of neat because they write a song and they shoot for their sound and they can depend on that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and make records from what they're they're hearing in their yeah. mind. And so I really was going to the studio every day. Yeah. For that too, I was learning the console and learning mm. how to operate mm. it. Yeah. So I was doing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, in 1969, you landed yet another single on the pop charts with B.J. Thomas's recording of "It's Only Love," a song credited to you and Steve Tyrell. And It's Only Love was not only recorded by B.J. Thomas, but it was later recorded by a fairly well-known artist named Elvis Presley. I've heard Um, of him. Yeah, I've heard of him, too. (laughs) He hit the pop charts with it in 1971, but of course that was not the first time Elvis had cut a song of yours that was previously recorded by B.J. The same is true of Suspicious Minds, which was a number one hit for Elvis in 1969. We're caught in a trap I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby Why can't you see What you're doing to me When you don't believe a word I say actually recorded that as an artist first on Scepter Records prior to BJ or Elvis with an arrangement that's pretty similar to Elvis's version. I'd like to hear the, the early history of a song that's become an iconic hit. Well, first of all, I played it to Chips, you know, for a song mm. to be cut by one of the artists come in. He said, oh, man, he said, hold that one, hold that one. I'm gonna, let's cut that on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's right. kind of how it came out. And so uh, so uh, we went in the studio and cut it. And uh, Chips and I went up to New York, and uh, there was 25 promotion men, and they heard Suspicious Minds, and they just jumped up and down to smash. Hmm. And, uh, but, it, you know, and we got in our car and they believed it so much, so much. They gave uh, Chips a Rolls Royce for producing that. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. That's what I say. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what, what did you get? Well, uh, I had to speak up for myself later. Yeah. I said, uh, my manager who was national promotion, I said, in the elevator one time, I said, Hey, I think, you know, I worked up that record just as much. I yeah. said, I think I'd deserve something for yes. this and you know and i i was kind of i don't want much how about five thousand dollars or something you know, i didn't say yeah. where it was was and and uh he was a little hesitant for me i said huh. well, come on and finally he agreed to it but uh 
but that was it. That was like a bonus thing. Yeah. But uh, was that for for the production on the Elvis record or the production no, on uh, the uh, Suspicious Minds? I didn't. My name wasn't on production. Yeah. But I, yeah, I worked it up with Chips, just like yeah. I did up on a Feel and all those. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But uh, but anyway, the bottom line was like. Uh, uh, it was a small label, and I think Steve probably did his best to promote it. But you know, they only had they had Dion Warwick, they had BJ, they used to have Shirelles, and they had an R and B company and gospel rather. Yeah, and uh, it was a real small label, and they just didn't know how to market it. Hmm. And uh, I remember one time I caught a plane to go up and promote it. Uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? of all places. You know, I think yeah. it did top five there and everything. Right, but right. Uh, you know, it didn't happen. But uh, yeah. but uh, the bottom line, it wasn't meant for me. It was meant for Elvis Presley, yeah. no doubt about it. Huh. And a lot of people say, uh, "What would you do about that?" And I said, "I'd probably go straight to Elvis." But I said, "I did need to record it because that's what Elvis loved, and that's what made him want to sing when he heard the song. Yeah. It was yeah. the whole thing, not only the song, or the production, and what that my record yeah. was. Right. And I'm glad I had it. You know? And and you mentioned earlier, um, and I, I want to be sure our listeners hear this. There was like a, a multi-instrument approach to the way you wrote that song. Started on some guitar. Yeah, I started with I'm an electric guitar player, you know, right. and I and I started playing and started playing the strings. I had an organ I used to play with you too. I'm a keyboard player too, and I started playing the bass pedals and getting a feel on the bass and the guitar, and I got that feel. I said, and I, I, I got melody. The melody was pretty, you know. Mm-hmm. You play it in the background as an instrumental or whatever. It's it's funky, but it's got that melody to yeah. it, and. Uh, I didn't have the middle part to it or the chorus part to it, or maybe a part of it. But anyway, I went to the studio and started finishing it up on the piano, grand piano. And uh, Chips used to say, man, he was going to save that piano because I <laughs> let a cigarette burn on it by mistake. <laughs> but I don't know if he did. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, the, <laughs> but the, uh, the vamp came to me of the, uh, the ballad yeah. type part. And uh, anyway, uh, we cut it on me, and it didn't happen. And, uh, you know, it's timing things. It never bothers me when things don't happen. It never did. Uh, you wish it would have because sometimes you say, you know it's there, what happened. Mm-hmm. You can't dwell on it very long, and sometimes you can't dwell on it at all because, you know, people are coming in for follow-up hits like BJ yeah. was, and so you got to move on. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, I— uh, one of the things that's always been most interesting to me about Elvis's 70s comeback period, if you want to call it that, is that it wasn't a 50s revivalist period. It was very appropriate for its time. His music was very, you know, right on for the 70s. His costuming, everything was. And Suspicious Minds was a song that was a staple of his live act throughout the 70s. Yeah. But it was written in the 60s, recorded in the 60s, and I look at that as a song that was really ahead of its time. Yeah, I mean, I think it. Well, did did you know that when you were writing it that you were pushing the envelope a bit? Because you you kind of wrote the '70s in the late '60s, in my opinion, in that song. Well, I don't. You know, uh, I just was trying to capture that song, and that's basically what I was doing. And uh, but you know, the uh, I was hoping. Well, I'll go to Elvis. Uh, Elvis had booked the studio for two weeks when he was coming to American Studio. And I, I didn't know he was coming in with 40 songs. He came in with 40 or 40 of his wow. own songs. Wow. And uh, I, I knew something was in the air. I could feel I can feel that sense that sometimes. I knew 
he needs a, you know, what do you need? Uh, uh, an artist that's uh, career's gone cold or somebody's never had a hit at all or uh, a has-been, a guy that's uh, been cold for 10 or 15 years mm-hmm. and trying to bring him back. I don't say, I mean to say has-been, but I, what I mean as far as he's just been doing other things. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I used to wonder, what happened? He's a great artist. You yeah. know, you used to love, man, and they disappear. You don't hear from them again. I'm a, a radio artist, I mean, recording artist, movies, you name it. Yeah. And when I got to be 30 years old, I realized what happened to him. Managers, divorces, lawyers, yeah. income tax. <laughs> All right, life happened. <laughs> totally. yeah. but, but, you know, here's what I did when Elvis was coming in. I said, I zoomed in and I said, well, who's happening right here? Who's, who's got the lead sex symbol for rock and roll right now? And I said, Tom Jones does because uh-huh. he did with the charts in his TV show. And then I said, can Elvis take it? And I had been introduced to Elvis twice by George Klein. And he, boy, he was a good-looking guy. His films didn't do him justice at all. Yeah. And uh, I said, I, I think Elvis can. I think Elvis has still got the voice and he's got the looks. And I believe in Elvis. On, but what does he need? And and so I started thinking about that. What does what what does he need to bring back? You can't do the fifties again. You can't right. do this. And so I started thinking about that. And I said, Wait a minute. He needs a mature rock and roll song. Mm. A mature rock and roll song. Right. I mean, as great as uh, a lot of the hits like. Uh, don't be cruel and all these, but he needs a more mature song. Yeah. Know? And uh, so I started thinking, now, where, what what kind of form is that? Why, how do you write that? How is it going to come? Uh, what kind of song do I need for that? And started brainstorming night and day. And, and Chip's Moment had a partner, Don Cruz. And uh, he was more or less a financial guy. And a uh, great heart and soul person, yeah. always. And uh Every time I'd go into his office in the studios, he said, yeah, Marky, I know you're trying to write a song for Elvis. You come up with it? Yeah, yeah, he's coming in. I said, no, not yet. I hadn't come up with it yet. And we had two weeks to go, and it'd be a week later. And he said, I see him. He said, Marky, you got that tune? I said, oh, no, I hadn't come up with it yet. I, you know, and I was trying that day. Finally, it got to about three days before Elvis was coming in. And I said, he said, you got it? And I said, no, I had come up. Man, I just can't get it. I just, I know it's there, but I just can't. I just can't capture it. Uh, and he says, uh, so when I came to Memphis, I came in 67 to 68, and I signed a new contract with him from 68 to where I was. And, and he said, what about the old catalog? Because I had gone to check down from the 68 catalog. Yeah. He says, what about the older catalog? And I said, older catalog, wow. And I turned around and said, man, forgot about there. And there was not many songs. There were a few mm. songs in that. But I got down to Suspicious Minds. I forgot about it. And Don says, what about Suspicious Minds? And I turned around in a chair, looked on the wall, and I swear I saw a golden number one. It was, I mean, it was amazing. Uh, I mean, it's wow. like, a, and man, I said, that's the song I've been looking for. You know? Wow. And what's great about it, <laughs> I had done. it already written. <laughs> <laughs> you had to roll up my sleeves. That was it. But the, just, as, just as hard to capture that hmm. was how do I, how do I sell what I just saw or believed in, that this is a song for right. him. You know, I really felt like going up after that, going up and shaking him, saying, this is a right. smash. Right. You know, yeah. this is the, the heavens just told me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. No, right. but, you know, <laughs> what I'm saying, it wasn't all that, ins- it was inspirational, I mean, yeah. number one, but uh, I just felt it more than seeing things. Mm. I felt it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I... All I could do, I said, no, he's he's heard that from everybody. All I can do, and I knew everybody around him, all these guys, and some of them worked at American Red West, everybody. All I could mm-hmm. do was tell uh, 
Red West, George Klein, Morty Liker, everybody to tell him to cut this. Hmm. It's a yeah. great one for him. And uh, they knew how they knew I was dedicated and how hard I was working, so they passed that on to Elvis. And the, and I went downstairs that day after I talked to Don, after I realized that, and I said, he was at the console. I said, Chips, play Elvis' Suspicious Minds when he comes in. That's hmm. the song for him. That, that's yeah. a smash for him. And he said, uh, you think so? I said, I know so. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, anyway, when uh, all the guys had told him, listen to this, and when Elvis came in the studio, he came in and they played him Suspicious Minds, and uh, he said, let's hear that again. Hmm. He kind of took to it a little bit, and luckily he heard it again. He liked it so much, he asked for a cassette, and El uh, Chips made it for him. He took it home. Priscilla loved it. It kept going, but it also was one of the last, almost the last songs he was going to cut. Hmm. Wow. So, uh, but all the guys said, "Y'all listen to this," and it kind of did that too. But he he heard it and he wanted to sing it. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Know? When Elvis cut that, uh, were you in the studio when when he actually made the record? No, uh, I was and wasn't. Uh, you know, like I said, I was getting into uh, uh, console engineering and all that stuff, and I had produced a group that night. You know, I lived and breathed in that studio. I was hmm. watching that so. And I had left a tape on the console, and so I had met Elvis twice. So anyway, he started recording, and, and I went into the control room, and there was Felton and Chips there, and I went in to get my tape and looked through the glass window, and there was Elvis out there. They had cut the track to any day now, and he was singing, trying to get his performance. Mm -hmm. And he kind of turned and looked at me, and we had just met a couple of days earlier, twice, and but I could tell that... Uh, it didn't set too well with him. With uh, here I am, he didn't know me, so here I am trying to watch him get a magical performance uh, mm. on, a, on a song he's trying to record, and he felt I could tell he felt really uneasy about that. Oh, you know, and, yeah. and I said, what dawned on me immediately as I was looking, I said, I can't be here when he records my song. Right. You know, no doubt about it, because especially it's my song. If he's through the glass looking at me, yeah. no way, no way. Interesting. But no it's, it's interesting so, uh, you say that because I've I've heard outtakes from him recording Suspicious Minds, and he had some difficulty with the phrasing of the second verse. Okay. Um, where it says, if "Would no I still? I know, yeah. yeah. Would yeah. I still see?" He kept coming in early on it. Stops by to say hello. Would I still? See? Yeah. Right. Right. Stops by to say hello. Would I still see suspicion in your eyes? Well, see, I see. It wouldn't have helped me being there. The, the author that uh, composed that, or even the yeah. artist, it would frustrate him. Watching more, yeah. him uh, yeah. trying to capture that, yeah. and go over and over on that. That's not. I've been I've been, I've been in studios with people, yeah. and and, and uh, it's best to. Uh, it, the song was just too great to jeopardize it, so yeah. I said no. But the downside of that, if you go back in history and look at all the guys at the American Studios, everybody's got a picture with him but me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They even did single <laughs> shots with Elvis. I mean, one by one. Wow. Right, everything. Right. <laughs> Missed out. <laughs> and I've heard stories that, that Elvis's, some of the folks around Elvis were leaning pretty hard on, on chips trying to, to get the publishing or get a piece of the publishing. Elvis the and the Colonel, especially the Colonel, they always came in and got a piece of everything, 100% mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Or if anything, half of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And this was the first time, first time, and thanks to Chips for this. He Chips was a car player. I mean, he was a he, he street guy. He had been around a wonderful guy, but he he was a sharp cookie. He could deal himself. He could deal himself four aces anytime he wanted. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he cleaned up playing cards with all those suits out there. <laughs> right, the right, right. That's where he got the name Chips, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, but anyway, he he said no. He he got mad finally. He got mad because they were trying to not Elvis, but all the yeah. guys in the business side tried Freddie. to go in RCA and all those yeah. guys tried to go in. Probably ordered from the Colonel and tried mm-hmm. to uh, get a big piece of the song. Yeah, and uh, Chips uh, laid it down to him right. He says, "Man, if you start coming off of that again, he says I'm taking this master out to the parking lot and I'm gonna set fire to it." Wow! And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think he, you know, I wasn't there to see that, so, but yeah. uh, wow. you know, he was he, he was uh, very talented that guy, and, and he meant it too because you know, here he is trying to make a living publishing wise, and you yeah. know, and what's wrong with you know you singing the song, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, after Suspicious Minds, Elvis had hits with your songs It's Only Love, which we mentioned, followed by Always On My Mind, a song that we'll talk more about in a bit, uh, Raised on Rock, and then Moody Blue, which was a number one country hit, a, a top 40 pop hit as well. discussed uh, suspicious minds was a song that had been uh, cut before it's only love was one that uh, you know bj did before elvis did brenda lee did always on my mind uh, roger chapman did raised on rock uh, 1969 i believe you know before elvis did and, and even moody blue is one that that you recorded uh, as as an artist um and looking at all these elvis cuts that you had all these songs kind of had lives you know before Previous, yeah. elvis so i'm curious um, did you write any of these songs specifically Elvis. with Elvis in mind, no. even though, so no. I never wrote a song for Elvis, and I always thought there would be time for that. I really hmm. did. Uh, 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 you know, it just happened that Elvis probably could record probably uh, eight or nine out of 12 of my songs, and it fit him. Yeah. yeah. And uh, its combination was there. We were both Southern, hmm. you know, and uh, we both love rock and roll. And uh, and so it just was... Uh, the the influence there i mean uh the uh, all those hits every one of them suspicious minds that's only love every one of them yeah, well i'll tell you a story about felton jarvis's producer called me about uh moody blue i had been working on that record uh, moody blue for mercury records charlie fash and uh and uh he called me and said man uh, elvis loves moody blue he wants to record it and I kind of hesitated because I was working on it for Mercury Records myself. Oh, they were—I right. don't know how he got the record. You know, probably my publisher sent it to him yeah. stay. Yeah. But I give him a copy sometime of what I was doing, and I—I uh, I hesitated. And Felton was real nice, real great guy. He said, uh, "He said, Mark, are, are you working this song for your own record?" And I said, "Actually, I am. I said I'm working for Mercury Records." And he said, "Hold on, I'm gonna get back with you." And I didn't know what he was doing, but he apparently talked to Elvis, and he called me back and says, he said, I just talked with Elvis, and Elvis says, go ahead and put it out. If it's not a hit, we'll record it. Hmm. And that's exactly what he did. Wow. <laughs> anyway, Elvis did did record it. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, that record was going up the charts. It was number one country. 
and I think he was happy that he had number one because he died mm-hmm. without, you know. Yeah. And uh, but, but I get I get people all the time from Europe, especially Russia. They love Moody Blue more than they do really suspicious huh. minds. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What's a I mean, what a great concept and a great lyric. You know, it's hard to be a gambler betting on a number that changes every time, and then that whole verse about Monday comes, she's Tuesday. Tuesday comes, she's Wednesday. I mean, there's 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 a lot of fun stuff besides just the sound of it and the vibe of the song. Yeah, the, I thought that that was one of my best songs too. The uh, Elvis loved it. You know, uh, Curly Putnam, uh, the writer that just recently passed away, he came up to me, said Moody Blue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? uh, well, I understand that that. Some of those songs like Suspicious Minds and, and It's Only Love and, and several other of your hits from that era were kind of autobiographical songs. You know, some writers kind of write like they make up a character and some people kind of write from their own life, their own experiences. Um, talk about what was kind of the fuel of of your life that was bringing these songs out of you. Uh, sometimes you don't know why you're writing songs. You hmm. never analyze them until you look back years later. Golly. I wrote that because of this or that. Mm. And you look at that. And, of course, a lot of my songs have a lot of love interest, too, yeah. of uh, uh, Karen. She's Moody Blue. I mean, that's that's yeah. that. I uh, hooked on a feeling. That was a lot of her, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, sometimes I'd write lyrics and, like, uh, come back and say, hey, how'd I get that? You know, caught in a trap, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And you wasn't necessarily weren't, but that's how you it came to. And you said, yeah. well, you know, and... Uh, and I have people coming up to me all the time saying, uh, "Wow, how'd you come up? Well, would you start a song called in a trap?'" <laughs> you yeah, know, and, yeah. And yeah. Uh, but you know, you just think of that way. And I look back, and I, that's probably a situation where I was in a situation where my where my heart didn't belong. You know, mm. type of thing. Where I, I look back, and I said, "That's where I was." You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in 1973, you released a self-titled solo LP on Bell Records that I believe was recorded at Electric Lady Studios in New York rather than mm-hmm. in Memphis. Yeah. Um, and I understand that you actually moved to New York after your time in Memphis. As a creative person, talk about the differences in those towns um, and how being rooted in a different place might influence your creative process. Uh, before I moved up there, Elvis Presley offered me a, a company with his, split with his, him offered me the most money I've ever been offered, period, in my life. Yeah. And I've been offered some pretty good deals. Uh, I couldn't take it because I said, well, I'm involved with somebody right now that's not not happening so good. And I said, uh, and he, and I told him, and he said, he said well, I'll, I'll, Mark, we'll get a lawyer and screw him in the ground. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? I'm sure the and, colonel uh, could have gotten that done. And, yeah. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, nah, well, thanks, Elvis, I said, but i got to solve my own problems. You know? Yeah. And I, and, and, he, and I moved to New York, and we kept our, still kept our relationship going, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And that's a really a great guy, open person that say, hey, you didn't sign with me, man. Let's cut other people's songs, you know. Yeah. yeah. I just think uh, uh, our relationship was so good, well, and he knew I was a dedicated writer, Mm-hmm. And he could probably trust what I would send to him. He, yeah. I mean, he believed in my style of writing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, moving to New York, like I said, I signed with Screen Gems, uh, Columbia up there, and I started going up there writing and uh, more as a solo artist. And I and I so I actually did that album, the Bell album. Uh, uh, Atlantic wanted that album. Uh, it, it was a better album for Atlantic Records. Mm. 
and it was actually sold to uh, Bell Records, who, you know, they're a great company. They were, they were but they work more of anything. They work with, uh, if you go back and look, you, uh, Tony Orlando and Dawn, mm-hmm. they had a TV show, or Marlo, Marlo Thomas and Friends, and they, uh, or Partridge Family, and they sold records because of the TV show and yeah. things like that. I wasn't coming from that way, huh. you know. Yeah. And uh, so I think Atlantic would have been perfect for it, but it didn't happen, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. one of those things. Yeah. What... What precipitated you leaving Memphis and deciding to, to head to New York? Uh, Screen Gems EMI offered me that, and I, thought, I just thought it was time to go. Yeah. You know? uh, uh, I had fallen out with a few people in, in Memphis, so, uh, and uh, which we straightened out probably the next year and everything. And I thought, well, why not? It's a good time. You know? Yeah. Well, one of the other names that we hear prominently in this era of Elvis's music is Mac Davis, uh, another Hall of Fame writer and artist of his own. And in 1974, he scored a top 10 pop hit with One Hell of a Woman, which you guys wrote together. She's one you guys end up getting together to write that one uh screen gems approached me and to get uh get with mac and maybe write a smash with him or Mm -hmm. you know uh, because we're both from texas we both had hits on elvis yeah and they because maybe get his career going yeah uh, pop he already had uh, maybe don't get hooked on me and things like that but they just thought it'd be good, like a juice in his career. Yeah, that's two giants in the room together. Yep. Yeah. You know, two of you. He, uh, I had met Mac in Memphis uh, mm-hmm. because he had the song with Elvis, and he came down and I met I met him, and uh, he, he said, "I just want to meet the guy that wrote Suspicious Minds." And then, you know, <laughs> anyway, he's a great guy. Yeah. But I, I didn't know him very well. But uh, when Ira Jaffrey introduced us again, everything. We shook hands and everything, and a small little holiday in in, uh, in L.A., off Highland, and uh, he left. I went over to the telephone, and I said, what would you like to drink? And I ordered some, <laughs> we ordered, we ordered some bourbon, and uh, we started drinking, and uh, we started riding together. We became really good friends, yeah. and uh, and uh, to this day, he's moved to Nashville, and uh and um, he, he's had a comeback in one of his songs uh, and that came back that Elvis recorded. Uh, it was oh, yeah. re- rearranged in England. Yeah, right. the A Little Less Conversation. Oh, yeah, it came yeah. back big time yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy for him. Yeah. Um, well, in 1978, B.J. Thomas had another hit with one of your songs, When Everybody Loves a Rain Song, which is credited to you and Chips, uh, hit number two on the adult contemporary charts. Um, now, by that point, you had had 10 years of solid success under your belt as a hit songwriter. Um, kind of talk about uh, as time passes, as you've, you know, kind of have the trajectory of your career where you're sort of working and you're struggling, you're trying to find that, that first hit. And then once you get it, once you start having hits, you're known as a, as a successful songwriter, people know your name, they know who you are. Um, does that have any impact on the actual process of, of the writing itself having sort of a different stature or, or way that people view you? 
No, uh, I never, I never walked around with it on my shoulder. I don't, I never have. I'm, you know, I didn't hit as an artist, so I can still walk down the street. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's part of it too. But, <laughs> right. uh, but uh, no, it's like, it's like starting. I mean, really and truly, you're starting all over again because, because uh, you're as hot as your last song, your last mm -hmm. record. I mean, uh, if you don't put it in gear and try to come up with something uh, today, unique and everything, I mean, you, you're classified as there yeah. in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I love new things. I ch try to change with the times. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have my songs from the past come back in yeah. different forms and fashion. And that's that's great. But, you know, people people say, yeah, you know, I had somebody... <laughs> You know, they may think I'm old songs like Suspicious Minds, but the bottom line is, you know, that's what you try to do. You try to write them great, mm. and you try to write them great and give to a great artist, and that's what makes the standard, all that. Yeah. yeah. You know, you yeah. know yeah. production, everything. Yeah. And that's what it is. I mean, uh, and you you hope, uh, once you get those right, you you got to let those come back when they can, yeah. and uh, or those keep being played like they are. But you got to move on and try to uh, capture something or create something new. You yeah, do. Yeah. Well, piggybacking off the, you know, songs come back. I mean, always on my mind, came back in a big way. I mean, that was a song that originally recorded by Brenda Lee. It was a modest country hit for her in 1972, and then of course, Elvis had a much bigger hit version of it in 1973. But when Willie Nelson recorded that song. Maybe I didn't love you Quite as often as I could have And maybe I didn't treat you Quite as good as I should have If I made you feel second best Girl, I'm sorry I was blind you, you were always on my mind You were always on my mind Number one country, top five pop, Grammy Awards, CMA. I think CMA Song of the Twice. Year two years in a row. They don't do right? that anymore. How does that even yeah, happen? Yeah. yeah. They think, stopped that. Yeah, I think He Stopped Loving Her Today did that. And, uh, and Always Green Apples. Yeah. 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 Where the song is so big, it's the Song of the Year for two years. That's I incredible. Mean, I mean, it's just, that was one of those things where, uh, you know, it's just an unprecedented success. It's the biggest success and the songwriter could Didn't they almost for. change the title of that to Always on the Radio? <laughs> I've never heard that one. I've never heard that one. That's what they should have. Yeah. yeah. Um, we were kind of uh, joking around before we started recording about, uh, you know, always on my mind is uh, is a rare one in that it's you and two other writers, and you were kind of saying it. Everybody has their own memory of, of how it came together, but tell us a story from, from your perspective of, of how that song was written. Well, always on my mind was... Uh... I had been working, working night and day in the studio, following up with BJ hits and all that stuff, and, and the producing and night and day. And I was, I was tired that night. I, I wanted to go. See, I, you know, tired of writing. I, you know, I, I needed a break. I wanted to go. I hadn't seen a movie in a while. And I wanted to go watch somebody else's story and get <laughs> yeah. out of my own mind for a change. You know. Yeah. I really did. So I, I was walking upstairs, and uh, all of a sudden, a door swung open. 
and Wayne Carson came out. He said, Mark, would you like to help write a song? Hmm. And uh, I said, well, well, I don't know. You know, I still in the, I still want to go to a film or play. Right. You know? right. And uh, I went in there, and he, he had Wayne and Johnny Christopher in there, and they were on guitars, and they played me. You know, they had the, kind of the melody. And Wayne had lived with this thing. Wayne has first started writing Always in My Mind. And he, he'd written it his way and, and, and all that and had all the, a lot of verses and choruses going and things like that. But it, I heard the first part of Maybe I Didn't Love You. Da, 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 da. I heard that. And I mm. said, well, I, you know, yeah, I'll write it with you. I heard the melody. Mm. That what could be. Yeah. What could be. And uh, it wasn't the same form or fashion. And what they were doing, they were treating that like a chorus. Maybe I didn't love you. Da 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 da. The chord progression wasn't right. The uh, the uh, they did they just you always on my mind one time. Mm-hmm. You know, like like and I said no, let's do it like this. So I sit down at a piano and I kind of arranged it like I kind of like hooked on a feeling. Mm-hmm. I can't stop this feeling. Maybe I yeah. didn't love you. Yeah, yeah. Da 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 da. Maybe I didn't love that. They had those lyrics, da 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 da, and I've been working on another, another song that I uh, that that I was going to build this up. Other song I had, and I felt, man, this belongs in this song because it fits perfectly. Da 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 da. Yeah. Where we could go to the four chord. Mm-hmm. Little things I should have said and done. And I said, keep going. Maybe I da 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 da. You're always on my mind. I said, no, let's double that. You're always on my mind. You are always on my mind. Yeah. Build that up. Yeah. yeah. And from that point on, I said, I scrapped, because they had all about three or four verses. And I said, scrap the verses. Because they were singing the verse at the time. Baby, once in a time, you broke my heart. All of a sudden, they come. But maybe I didn't. I said, scrap that. Mm. Let's stay here. Yeah. That's the second verse. I said, maybe I didn't hold you. And Wayne mm. jumped in. He said, right. All those lonely, lonely times. And we started throwing yeah. lyrics at each other. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I got, we got to the end of it. I already had the the workout to that the lyrics to that and then i said okay we need a change i said i said let's go tell me and start walking it down for to break mm-hmm. it up yeah. and we start shooting lines to each other and uh we got to the uh sweet lord have night tell me keep you satisfied he said i got it i'll go right into the uh little things i should have no 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 i said no let the solo have it. it's beautiful because I was thinking about the thing I throw in, da da da. We uh, keep you satisfied, and the so, uh, melody's got it of, of the uh, inter- interval, the solo. Da 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 Little little sneak preview time. Is there anything you've been working on uh, recently that you're uh, you're excited about? Well, when people don't call me for songs, I'm usually working on just songs. I like it. they always have to start from that. You mm-hmm. don't no sense booking the studio unless you have a great song. Yeah, and you have to have that. So no matter where I am, traveling or whatever, if I can capture the song, because no matter where you are, you got to spend time in capturing these butterflies, you know. Yeah. yeah. They'll disappear or dream type dreams, they go away. Yeah. You know, and so you try to capture them, and then you try to go in the studio and arrange them and try to put them together. So yeah. that's what I do. I mean, uh, but uh, yeah, I've been thinking more about, uh, you know, I've been working on a few projects with other people, but mainly I've been working on songs for myself. Mm-hmm. I've been working on some songs for films. 
and things like that because there's different avenues, different uh, uh, medias, I mean, these days. I mean, uh, golly, with phones and all this stuff yeah. and films, mm -hmm. and uh, there's probably going to be more. I yeah. mean, uh, people all the time ask me, man, have you got, you, you on Facebook, you on this and that? And I love all that stuff, but... Uh, Man, I don't know how anybody has time time to answer. Right. You know, I almost wrote a song, a song called "I Miss Payphones." <laughs> I do. You know, that's yeah. true because there's something about payphones that that you did your thing. You didn't worry about anything. Mm -hmm. right. Everybody knew you was going to contact them at the, when you got back to your home or at the end right. of the day, or you go to a payphone. You know, yeah. and uh, there's something about. Just trying to—it's just communicating, getting back with people on these phones. Yeah. That, that that takes up a lot of time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a constant yeah, you're, expectation. You're, you're, you're not much of a public figure. You don't have a website. You're you're kind of a hard guy for us to <laughs> to find to track down. You don't do a lot of interviews. I mean, it seems like you've kind of well kind of made the choice to to not be too out there. I you know there was a time I stopped doing interviews. Period. And I hate to say that because Peter Gorelnik was doing his book. And uh, everybody was talking about asking me about Elvis, and I thought I had said enough. And I'm sure I said things here that I've said before, but but you know, I said, "Why don't you go talk to George Clyde and Ray West, some of his personal friends that grew up with? They can tell you more than I can." You know, yeah. uh, and I just was kind of at a point that I didn't, you know, have any more to say, really. Yeah. So, uh, and it wasn't nothing personal. I mean, I should have done it, really, but. Uh, well, I know that uh, we are thrilled that you said yes to this interview. This has been fantastic and just an honor to Thanks, Scott. to, to be with Thank you here and and yeah, this is this is just uh I'm sure there's great. things I, I probably should have said. I can't remember uh little things you should have said and done. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can find us by searching for Songcraft Show. And we look forward to getting together again with you next time for Songcraft, conversations with great songwriters. <laughs>